In our last episode, we considered, from the vantage of old covenant religion and its high sense of separation from God, how it was to run into him, to encounter Jesus. But this week, let's take a slightly different angle. Imagine you're sitting in a roadside pub, having an inexpensive cup of some rather foul wine, and you're not thinking about anything in particular. Around you are the sounds, sights, and smells of such a place, the swearing, the dirty jokes, the unkempt looking and smelling sorts of people who spend time in this sort of place. Why are you here? Well, because having traveled south to see the baptizer teacher down at the Jordan, having not been particularly impressed by the weirdness of the experience of that man, you're just sitting here waiting for your brother, Andrew, who has lagged behind to talk with the baptizer in order to travel back to the Galilee and get back to work on your fishing boats. So you are sitting here in this roadside pub, thinking of nothing really at all, when the door opens, the light flooding in, and in comes your brother just now. There is a very strange look in the look of his eyes. He approaches in the half-darkness of the pub and grips you by both shoulders. I have met the Messiah, he says, the anointed of God. You take a deep breath in, let it out. This is awkward. Where, you ask? He is sitting under a tree outside, Andrew says. The baptizer? No, Andrew replies. God. You wait for him to say something else. He just stares at you. God is sitting outside under a tree? Andrew nods. Outside, under a tree. He nods again. All right, you say. Let's go have a look. You pay off your tab and then wind your way through the half-light, following after your brother, out through the day drinkers of this roadside pub. The outside light is blinding for a moment. You follow after Andrew down the road to the left, then across a narrow path across a field. There's a short, stubby tree in the middle distance. In its shade is another man of the Galilee, the younger brother of James of Zebedee, and then, for the first time, you see the man your brother was talking about. He is rising to his feet to meet you in the shade there. His eyes are sparkling with the warmest kind of, of affection. He steps out of the shade. The sunlight lights his features. He extends his hands toward you, all warmth, all kindness, all joyfulness. And then, quite surprisingly, he embraces you, kisses you on the cheek. He is whispering in your ear as he does so. Everyone calls you Simon, but I won't. For me, you will always be Peter, Petros, a rock. You take a step back 
and away from the intensity of this man. The look in his eyes is ageless, all-consuming, eternal. You are both awed and slightly afraid of the look in his eyes. This encounter with him is the beginning of the rest of your life. Well now, decades later, imagine being that man, now an old man, sitting down to a bare-topped table and taking up your writing quill. You are again thinking of that day, of the way it felt to make the acquaintance of God incarnate. And you smile to yourself and then write this. Simon Peter, a servant and messenger of Jesus Christ, sends this letter to those who have been given a faith as valuable as ours in the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May you know more and more of grace and peace as your knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord grows deeper. He has, by his own action, given us everything that is necessary for living the truly good life in allowing us to know the one who has called us to him through his own glorious goodness. It is through him that God's greatest and most precious promises have become available to us men, making it possible for you to escape the inevitable disintegration that lust produces in the world and to share in God's essential nature. All right now, friends, let's unpack that just a little. Because coming as those words do, those words, by the way, being 2 Peter 1, 1 through 4, coming as they do at the tail end of a life consumed by encounter with Jesus, well then, almost every sentence, in fact, almost every clause is just electric with all the meaning of encountering him. Let's start back at the top. Simon Peter. Yes, Simon, the man from the north of Galilee, the rough-around-the-edges commercial fisherman, the one who was introduced to Jesus by his brother Andrew, the one who Jesus instantly renamed what? Petros, Peter, Rock, Rocky, stalwart, strong, trustworthy one, when in reality he was practically none of these things. But you see, encountering Jesus, we are encountering, as in a mirror, our new self. He looks at us and renames us after himself. He encounters us to make us like him. Simon Peter, a servant and messenger of Jesus Christ. Which is a clause, by the way, with two sets of double meaningfulnesses. Servant and messenger. What it actually says is servant and sent one. Which is perfect. Because in the very same way that Jesus is Christ, and the Christ is Jesus... A servant of his must be a sent one and can only be sent in service. All the followers of Jesus are apostles, just as certainly as Jesus is the Christ. 
So yes, Simon Peter, a servant and messenger of Jesus Christ, sends this letter to those who have been given a faith as valuable as ours in the righteousness of our God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. This is at the heart of why encounter with Jesus is so important. When Simon, soon to be Peter, met that bearded man out in the hot Judean sunlight, he was personally experiencing the presence and personality of the Christ, who is God, who is the personalized incarnation of righteousness, who is the bestower of faith in all of the above. It is absolutely necessary to encounter Jesus in order to have faith in Jesus. We put the cart infinitely ahead of the horse whenever we talk about, quote, Christian faith without direct, verifiable experience of Jesus himself. Do you think I overstate myself there? Well, then listen on. May you know more and more of grace and peace as your knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord grows deeper. You see, knowledge of Jesus our Lord, encounter with Jesus our Lord is encounter with God and yields to us grace and peace. Jesus doesn't just overflow with the attributes of God. Jesus is the attributes of God, incarnate, personalized, knowable. And listen on. He has, by his own action, given us everything that is necessary for living the truly good life. Pause. Isn't that what the heart of every person wants? To know what is necessary for living not just a, but the truly good life. Well then, Simon called Peter, how do we attain to this experience of the truly good life? In allowing us to know the one who has called us to him through his own glorious goodness. Friends, the truly good life is knowing Jesus. Jesus imparts what he is and what he wants from us. We want life. He wants to give us life. We want true goodness. He always lives to give us his goodness. He offers us nothing less than everything. It is through him that God's greatest and most precious promises have become available to us men. Stop again. God's greatest and most precious promises are available? Available as in ours for the taking? But Simon called Peter. Uh, what are some of the greatest and most precious promises? I don't know. Uh, how about some like these? Jeremiah 31. The days are coming, declares the Lord when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. Job 19. For I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand on the earth. And after my life has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes, I and not another. Oh, how my heart yearns within me. Isaiah 9. 
And in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Isaiah 11. In that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will rally to him and his resting place will be glorious. Isaiah 33. Pardon me, 35. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped? Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Isaiah 25. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. And finally, Psalm 16. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. You see, encountering Jesus, we encounter the new covenant himself, the redeemer who lives and stands on the earth, the one we may see ourselves, the one who is himself a light dawning, the banner for the peoples that is glorious. He opens our eyes. He unstops our ears. He causes our feet to leap and to jump, and he causes our tongues to shout for joy. He causes living waters, the Holy Spirit, to gush forth. Encountering Jesus, we encounter the one who will swallow up death forever, who wipes away tears, who removes our disgrace. We encounter the one who will never abandon us, who makes known to us the path of life, who fills us with joy and eternal pleasure. Friends, how good is it to know the one who is all those things and infinitely more. It is through him that God's greatest and most precious promises have become available to us men, making it possible for you to escape the inevitable disintegration that lust produces in the world and to share in God's essential nature. Which is perhaps the most perfectly self-contained, uh, short-form explanation of the power both of the Incarnation and of encountering the Incarnate One. That a simple man named Simon, meeting Jesus, being renamed by him, beginning to walk alongside him, was on the way not only to salvation, but all the way homeward into the unfathomable intimacy of beginning to share the very nature of God. Yes, friends, Jesus came to give life. We know this. That is the heart of the gospel. No question about it. But the only way he wants to give life is by enfolding us into himself, into the Godhead. Put it another way, just like Simon Peter, by teaching us 
to share his own life. How good is this Jesus? And how wonderful it is every day that we might encounter him. Thanks for listening.